<clears throat> you ready? I am ready now. Okay. Well, hot dang. Welcome to the Art Last Podcast, where we do a whole bunch of different stuff, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> where we make art the art world accessible. <laughs> <laughs> We're we're figuring out a new tagline. Feel free to write in what you think it should be. <laughs> what, I'm Seema. Uh, yeah, that's Seema. Um, I'm I'm the other one. I'm <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> um, if you would like to support the pod, you know what to do. We've said this so many times, but if you're a new listener, you can find us on TikTok at Artlast underscore podcast, and you can find us on Patreon at Artlast Podcast. Um, I and in fact, to... we what? love the reviews. Oh yeah, my... so let us read some reviews. Oh yeah. Um, shoot, this is one of my favorite things to do. We haven't done it in ages. So, can uh, so what? educational, informative, and brilliant. I follow Seema on TikTok. I swear she has taught me more about art and culture than anything my professors at Vassar ever taught me. At fifty k. Annually intuition. Highly recommend the podcast. You will learn fifty six, sorry. You will learn and absorb everything about life and art by Millie Dew. I will say, as somebody who knows some of the Vassar people who have taught a Vassar and might teach a Vassar now, they're also really good props. And I would say that the thing I appreciate what she said, and I think that the thing that we both love is that we have the freedom to teach in a way that we didn't teach when we were in academic ways. Mm. So we love you, Millie. But we like Vassar too. <laughs> no, I think that what we say, what we, what I'm proud of, very, very proud of, is that we are um, really embracing both the media of the podcast and our mm. TikToks to share p- content in a way that is incredibly accessible. What's I'm, your favorite to read? Read a review. Oh, well, we've had a few recently. So, uh, love this five stars. So amazing. Love waking up with this podcast. Great hosts. Smiley face. Verh Hub J. Yeah, that's a impressive I know. username. Whoever that whoever that username is, I want to know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we have one from Canada. Eh? Yay, Canada! So... Both Sophie and I are from the north, so we like we're in the north, so we're closer to Canada. I'm very close to Canada. I Five love how Seema explains everything. She is the art history teacher I wish I had in school. Same. Raston Mayor. Same. But it's okay because we have Seema now. No, sure. Um, so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, makes loading a blast. Five stars. Discovered this podcast because I follow them on TikTok and absolutely loved her content. So excited to have another source of knowledge from such knowledgeable and entertaining hosts. Out of the hat. Thanks, friend. And the last one, which is our most recent, just four days ago. We love ago, this one. It's, uh, yeah, I like it. Um, this may become our new tagline. So great pod, five stars. That's it. No, <laughs> Welcome to Art Last Podcast. It's a great pod. Um, no. Love listening to Seema and Sophie talk so intelligently. I don't know about that. About super different topics. They approach social media slash pop culture issues with the same rigorous thought that they apply to high art world topics. And that really is what we're trying to do here, gang. And we're working on this handle, but we think it's Gfusuki. Yeah. (laughs) And if not, tell us what we should actually say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, one of the things that we've been talking about is the fact that uh, the spaces that we've come out of are so incredibly siloed from everyday kind of culture creation 
which is really kind of a bizarre thing that I think both of us have kind of really become stuck on in the last year, right? I'm sure maybe you more so than me uh, over time. But there's this real disconnect between kind of where we are allowed to kind of socially consume culture out in the physical world and then the academic phrase juxtaposition of mm. how that exists there is no okay wait it's the it's not just academic how what is i've i've had this argument with people i knew that that was going to incite taken out something of, taken in that you. word taken try to take that word out of labels what is another word A what synonym? is another word let's look it up i hope everyone is enjoying my mechanical keyboard Comparison, contrast, proximity, closeness. They are none of those are the same. So what juxtaposition is. Not one of those. There so are you, some you words tell that us. have no. There's no. It is juxtaposition is two things next to each other mm-hmm. that mean create meaning by their difference. That is not comparison. No. That is not contrast. No. It is different. There are some words that have no, they have no fill in. You know another word in English language I think is like that? Cheesy. Tell me what, (laughs) tell me a synonym for cheesy. Huh. I I have thought a lot about this. Clearly. (laughs) Um, What, where does juxtaposition come from? What's its I don't know. I don't know. Man, we got off topic so fucking fast. (laughs) (laughs) It's because we've been out. We've been out. Middle English from Latin and French essentially means to position an object X near object Y. So juxta is Latin for next to and pose as in to place, to place next to, to juxtapose. The thing is the connection has to do with proximity and immediacy. Oh. Okay. So the juxtaposition, what juxtaposition were we talking about? Um, shit, I nearly forgot. Uh, <laughs> the contemporary academic art world space that is, uh, you know, in proximity to and funded by and essentially kind of comes from this, you know, extraordinarily moneyed capitalist kind of space mm-hmm. um, of, that is, you know, based on a history of art and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And money, all and, mm-hmm. relig- and religion, all being mm-hmm. really interconnected, uh, and we really try to, uh, especially with our new format, bring th- that kind of uh, background that we both share in terms of academia and formal training in the art world, and we bring it against something that's happening kind of culturally. Uh, in these online spaces that are more accessible that we all share. And I will say this, and I'm sure all of our listeners will agree, this is one of the things that we love about you the most, right, is that you have the capacity and you have a very unique brain. Um, And this is one of the reasons when I first came across you and we kind of became mutuals, I was just constantly dropping, like, the idea of a podcast or, like, having your stuff more out there because, like, you have the capacity to bring these extraordinarily dense and inaccessible. <coughs> Thanks, Joe. Uh, 
I'm gonna leave a that little in. reality. I'm gonna there. leave that in. A little reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but you do. It's true. You you do have this capacity to take these extraordinarily inaccessible and dense concepts that are normally behind fucking huge paywalls, right? Mm-hmm. And you can bring them to and relate them to something that anyone can kind of <laughs> understand or have access to. It's okay. We're on different tracks. It's okay. I know. Still. It was funny. Um, well, and I would say that um, as we're looking, because next week we'll, we'll do a couple of finish the end of the year things about mm-hmm. a podcast because we're mm-hmm. about to be a year old. Um, but yeah, I guys, would say that you, I was telling somebody at work. We're moving into our toddler era. I can't believe era. it. <laughs> Um, but, um, I mean, they were saying, oh, did you know them before? And I was like, nah, but like we do clearly, like we really connect because I think also you do as well. I think you're also a dreamer (laughs) and a a hoper, like a, like you have a really aspirational way in a way that I would say that I having, you know, because we're at like a different points in our career in the arts. Mm -hmm. I'm baby. (laughs) And I'm like on my, I'm like on a foot out. Right. And so like. I love I that, that for you, though. Take a break. <laughs> uh, but I think that, like, I have a lot. I have a lot of cynicism. Like I often say, I said in a in a video recently, if you've worked in the arts long enough, you really hate the arts. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that there is, I think there's a hopefulness that you have that brings to these topics we talk about. Aww. I think it makes them. I think they can't be grounded all in. Um, I don't want to say truth, but in fact, I guess they yeah. also have to be tr- grounded in what's next. I do. And have I think a Pisces that's what moon. we have. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that's awesome. <laughs> well, people who understand will get it. Um, yeah. It means that I'm. I get, have a Sagittarius moon. I think in my emotions. Do I have a Sagittarius um, moon? No, I don't know what that means. Tonight, somebody told me once something. They're like, "Oh, you have a such and such." I don't know what I have. Um, but it's well, honestly, one thing that I did experience in grad school. <laughs> And I will, I will credit that program or just the people that I encountered is that I do, I genuinely believe in the revolutionary power of imagery mm-hmm. and photography. And I mm-hmm. really, it's like the foundation of how I operate and mm-hmm. like move through the world is through mm-hmm. a photographic basis and engagement mm-hmm. and like, a, mm-hmm. and kind of grounding my life in, and the way I move through the world in an understanding of imagery because I, mm-hmm. the things that have been kind of our downfall and have led us to where we are now, especially mm-hmm. a medium like photography that just exists like in dualities all the time, mm-hmm. it can take us in the other direction because the mm-hmm. imagery that we consume has the power to uh, shift with our neuroplasticity and mm-hmm. kind of change what mm-hmm. we consider to be worthy of our time, our love, our capacity mm-hmm. for empathy, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that we're actually seeing that in real time on social media. Mm-hmm. And I think today, so today's topic is about two parts of imagery, right? It's about, yeah. fr- we're going to start with fragmentary mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about kind of mass scale. Mm-hmm. Because in many ways, the absence of the thing makes it hard for us to understand it. And then the volume of the thing makes it hard for us to understand it, right? Mm-hmm. So for the first half, we always do these. We start with a more research, more art historical or historical topic at the head of the show. And then at the end, we do something that's more about sometimes social media or something a little bit yeah. more. Um, I would also say loose. we kind of have like a 
like a research and art side and then almost like a more emotional side yeah, to what we do yeah, as well. Yeah, I would agree. I would I, agree. Uh, and I love that balance. I actually think that's like a really – I do too. I, got it, I was actually talking to Cindy. Hi, Cindy, okay. the other day. Um, and Cindy was kind of like, you know, together. Hi, Cindy. I, I love I, Cindy. Me too. Cindy was like, I really, I really think that you both like together – cover all bases like you turn over all stones which i it's like oh, really that's such lovely a compliment thing. i know wow. i know because you know like i sometimes feel insecure that i don't bring the same amount of like you oh, know no. knowledge no i know but like it's silly but also like everyone but human human right? exactly it's it's also but human like, to acknowledge it like mate you're a fucking powerhouse yeah <laughs> it's like, i'm old i'm old no <laughs> um and i don't know like as a as you know someone who came up through an education system that mm-hmm. did not work for me and you know imposter syndrome is real in the arts mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that a lot of us experience and even as content creators right mm-hmm. like that's why so many people steal content from other people yeah <laughs> like, and like and I actually think a lot of times like you know that like somebody commented that I have no credentials and I <laughs> made a video about it mm-hmm. um that it's often not about me like so many, it's like somebody, some guy who's um, never handled, about you. is a uh, gamer incel DM'd me to tell me that I'm not as smart as I think I am. And I was like, when did I tell you I was smart? Like, you know, like, I was like, dude, why did you have to, why did you spend the effort to DM me? It's about you. It's not about me. Like, I don't, you, that's your, that's your issue there. It's because you speak, well, we've said this so many times, because you just yeah. speak with some kind of authority that makes that's people right. uncomfortable. And I got a brown face. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so to, to, to start, to talk about um, fragments, I want to first do a call out to uh, a Dr. Ellie Mackin Roberts, mm-hmm. who uh, made me think about this topic for the podcast, because Dr. Ellie Mackin Roberts, whose handle I can't remember, but you can look up that um, name and it'll come up. Um I'm making a practice of not looking at my phone so it looks like I'm paying attention to the podcast. Sorry, me as I'm texting. um, I'm doing some content creation for someone later at like 11 and it's It's 10.30. It's fine. It's fine. Um, That, Dr. Ellen Malkin-Roberts has a great um, uh, series she's doing right now about fragments. She's a – I I, I don't remember exactly what she wrote about, but she talks about Greek art. So I don't know what Hmm. part of Greek art she talks about. It's her, like, she's an an academic, she's an art historian. I'm pretty sure she's an art historian. She seems like an art historian. Mm -hmm. And um, she's been talking about fragments. I said that, I mean that in a positive, as an art historian. Um, But I, I and I think as a generalist, because I'm a generalist and she's a specialist, that I love hearing her comments about fragments. And it made me Mm. think about something that's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So um, just recently, and I do have to look at my phone, but I have it open so I don't have to search for it. I mean, you can look at your phone. We just, when one of us is like saying something meaningful, we should, we like, should listen to each look other. Look up a little bit, look engaged, so that when people look at the video of us talking, they also want to be <laughs> engaged. So there's Content this creation co- is stupid, guys. I just wish we could record this the way that we naturally want to. You know so that I can picture. never see the things that oh, okay. when you then hold I'll them up like you. this. I'll describe this picture. You can also screenshot so, it and text it to me. That's true, okay. but I'm just going to tell you. Okay. So there's an image of um, uh, by Elizabeth Marlowe tweeted, moving repatriation ceremony today at the Turkish consulate. The mm-hmm. largest number of Buban fragments to be reunited in one pe- place since 1967. Places Pieces going back today passed through the hands of the notorious traffickers, including Hecht, Eisenberg, and Ward. Hopefully mm-hmm. more to come. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, 
that I've been thinking about is that there was so the, the story of these Bubon fra fragments is, and there's a number of them. Uh, there's many at the Met. There's some at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. There's some at the Cleveland Museum of Art. I, uh, I know that there's other museums, but I don't want to call them out unless I I I, I know unless I, I I've looked it up recently. So mm -hmm. and other museums as well. Mm -hmm. What happened was, um, and I think uh, it's a it's an interesting thing how our knowledge of the past is very much shaped by our today. So when you think about archaeology, archaeology happened. It diff happens at different rates in different places. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we know a whole lot about ancient Egypt, partly thanks so to the much. fact that Europeans were real excited about ancient Egypt. And so <laughs> they did a lot of archaeological work there versus places like... Do you think that's like why people think that Egypt is like the beginning of the world in terms oh, of I'm like sure. history? I'm sure. It's shaped people's minds in a way yeah. that like... But like... But in a way that we don't have, say, um, now we have more information about the Inca, but you mm -hmm. know, the Inca also were master builders. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's things like <clears throat> Egypt is fairly flat. The Inca were building on high altitude spaces. You know, like there's many things in, there's many practical reasons that we understand the past in a certain way. And many mm -hmm. of them have nothing to do with like the quality or the importance or the relative like, in, you know, like the Indus Valley civilization had um, basically they had like, you know, they they had sort of like pre air conditioning because they had like figured mm, out mm -hmm, ways to vents mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then they had like hot air um, rises. Yeah. And they had like regular they had basically blocks, city blocks. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were doing all kinds of stuff in 2500 B.C. My point is that our understanding of the past is often clouded by the present. And so. Um, one of the big parts of this is that for a long time, places like Greece and Italy mm -hmm. had very clear repatriation rules, thanks to things like good old Lord Elgin stealing them Parthenon marbles. Mm -hmm. And so um, while we have the issue of the Elgin marbles, which were um, basically what happens with the Elgin marbles is the Ottomans say, yeah, go ahead, the Ottomans, so the, the Ottomans with their seat in Tur what is now Turkey, mm -hmm. say, like, basically sell off these Greek marbles. Mm -hmm. um, and the Greeks, while they, the Ottomans own that land at that moment, mm -hmm. the Greeks say that the Ottomans didn't have the right to give away their patrimony. And... <clears throat> Nonetheless, what you have is parts of what becomes Greek and Roman. You know, Greece had Greece did have a small, you know, colony in the, mm -hmm. that part of the world, and then the Romans after that. Mm -hmm. Those part, the things that were that were in places like Tunisia, Turkey, um, what some people called the Levant, or what is now um, Israel, Palestine, and Lebanon. In Syria, mm -hmm. um, the 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 artifacts that were there had more chance to come onto the open market because there were fewer protections, mm -hmm. and so you have a lot of and th these were places that were very wealthy. So like Turkey was actually super wealthy, and there's amazing artifacts. And I've been to Turkey, and I've been at places where it's just like you could almost pick up something and leave. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
And so what happened was there were some very, very problematic dealers like um, Hecht, who I mean, there's many problematic dealers. There's like I don't I'm I'm calling out Hecht because he happens to be the one that these artifacts were associated with. Um, and um, he died in 2012 at 92. Mm hmm. And he was somebody who basically made his business um, stealing art mm -hmm. and stealing art from places and like places like Bubon. And I don't actually know how to say it. I've always called it Bubon, but if somebody wants to correct me, feel free. Um, and I have worked with, um, I, I have taught artifacts from, from there. They were basically, it was just like this trove. They basically went in to Turkey, mm -hmm. worked with the middlemen there, took it, trafficked it, mm. and sold it to museums in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, mm -hmm. early 2000s. And um, museums- a, a big like kind of- Were like um, cool with that. Well, was there also, because there was a lot of like 2000s media and movies of like, you know, Indiana Jones and the mummy oh. and there were all these, was there like a, yeah, was I that mean, reflected was... like in museum spaces as well? Was there like a resurgence no. of popularity in? No, no, I wouldn't say so. No, I think what was happening is like for the two, the last leg of this, it was people who had been trained, like, so, so what happened, I think part of it is in like the 80s, nobody cared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the people who were teaching no one about anything in the eighties, right? No, no, it's just like Reaganomics, free flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't in kids. right. I wasn't in the. I was. I was a kid in the eighties, but um, mm. uh, I wasn't in museum work. But what I think happens <laughs> is in two thousand. By two thousand, it's changing. Yeah, <laughs> and um, um, by two thousand, what you actually have is the generation of people who were trained by the people who purchased the first of these fragments from these dealers. Yeah. So it was petering out. Like, by the time I started in the field, you weren't doing this, right? Like, by mm -hmm. the time I started, people were like, dude, somebody's going to come and take that. You know, I came up at the time where NAGPRA was really important, which is to do with Ameri North American stuff, I should say. Mm -hmm. But I think that NAGPRA is also this idea that... Um, <clears throat> this idea. Sorry, I found that, the passage what? I want to read for you. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> the whole I think, time I feel really bad because I'm just like, mm hmm, mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that the, when I was coming up in the early 2000s, that there was definitely a lot of change. But you had the last waves of this, right? But my point is that one of the things that was really important about these fragments is they were fragmentary, but not that fragmentary. So the things that were being sold from Bubon, and if you look them up, like in this repatriation image, I can describe some of them. It is a foot. And the foot is like, it looks like maybe it's a foot of like a senator, like a large bronze senator. Um, oh, no, it has no sandals. So it could be like a divine figure. Um, but you can see all the beds of the nails. It's so beautifully done. And the foot itself is probably about... It doesn't have the heel, so it's just the, up to the arch. And it probably looks like it's about uh, 13, 14 inches. Or you have the face of a like the a full head bust, but you have the full face. Mm -hmm. Or you have um, the bust of a woman, and it's a fragment because it's probably part of a set. There's yeah. probably a, a man that goes with that. Yeah. So my point is that one of the things for a lot of people who were collecting 
ancient art, ancient Greek art, let's say, mm. and in this case, these are all Roman um, or ancient Roman art, is that, or I think um, all the ones that I've known are Roman, um, The because so much of the ancient art world that we collect is so fragmentary that you have to fill in all of the blanks, mm -hmm. collectors get very excited when the fragment is almost whole. Mm -hmm. And so they lose all sense. And then they want it. Yeah. You know, the idea of fragment is actually this really, a fragment is everything from a piece to almost finished. Yeah, almost I was whole. I was actually about to ask you what, and why the particular use of the word fragment as well? Because I, I find that really interesting because that is so on point with some of the stuff that I've been reading and thinking about and yeah. especially how I relate to the idea of photography and how photography kind of functions. Mm. Um, so as anyone who's been following my TikTok recently, uh, can I jump in and read you some stuff? That I, think I would is love that. Relevant? Hey, I'm going to correct myself. Okay. Some of these bubon fragments are Greek. Some are okay. Roman, some are Greek. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so I have been reading Ariella Azale's The Civil Contract of Photography on TikTok, and I'm about uh -huh. to start putting some of uh, some bits and pieces from her latest publication, Potential History, Unlearning Imperialism, which I think uh. is proactive for people at the moment. Uh. Um, so she talks because she's a, a cultural theorist and a photography theorist, um, uh -huh. and she anyone who doesn't know is a woman who has a really kind of uh, uh i think almost unique but maybe not unique story of citizenship uh. as, as it relates to uh israel and palestine so she talks a lot in kind of the first chapter and about uh the relationship between photography imperialism and also how museums and kind of institutions function in terms of this process of fracturing and dividing and kind of uh you know looting essentially and mm -hmm. where it kind of comes mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. i've got a couple of passages i'd love to uh -huh. love to share with everyone so uh when photography emerged it didn't halt this process of plunder that made others and others worlds available to some but rather accelerated it and provided further opportunities to pursue it in this way the camera shutter developed as an imperial technology yeah. in a split second the camera sh the camera's shutter draws three dividing lines in time between a before and an after in space between who and what is in front of the camera and who and what is behind it and in the body politic between those who possess and operate such devices and appropriate and accumulate their product mm. and those whose countenance resources or labor are extracted mm. the work of the shutter is not an isolated operation nor is it restricted only to photography if shutters in the service of petty sovereigns were limited only to cameras and were not operative in other domains, wherein the violence perpetrated by the sharp movement of their blades hits bodies at a greater proximity, the departure of the camera and the photographer from the scene would not necessarily be part of a devastating regime. So then she goes on later so down the page. Explain to everybody what you <laughs> what that means. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stripped. Uh, I like to strip the academic jargon out of some of this stuff. But essentially, one of the so I think one of the things that Ariella Azale does best is she kind of talks about the politics of the photograph and how photographs exist in time and space, and who benefits from their existence and who doesn't. And I think that what she talks about with 
such incredible clarity, especially for when you've been in the academic kind of jargon for a while. It does sound like it makes sense. It doesn't sound like bullshit and like a weird, <laughs> like, uh, you know, thing that was written like but in a time before Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> I think what she does is she really profound in her ability to connect how imperial violence functions kind of on a grand scale and then how that can kind of be enacted on a personal scale to people and to yeah. cultures. Yeah, I think she's um, also talking about the the idea, I mean, she's talking about fragment in some ways, mm -hmm. um, metaphorically too, like the yes. fragmentation of time. Yes. Because I think, so to go back to, you know, these, these fragments mm -hmm. from this Roman city um, uh, in Turkey, is what's also become what becomes fragmented mm -hmm. or broken is the line from that space place to the ownership of it. What? Can I read you this next bit that I was going to? Yes, that's like exactly it. Um, so thinking about imperial violence in terms of a camera shutter means grasping its particular brevity and the spectrum of its rapidity. It means understanding how this brief operation can transform an individual rooted in her life world into a refugee, a looted object into a work of art, a whole shared world into a thing of the past, and the past itself into a separate time zone, a tense right. that lies apart from both present and future. And then let me read you this, which is about the Met's collection, the Met having some of these fragments. Mm. And then I have one for you about uh, restitution and reparations, which is where Great. we're going next. Okay. So um, this artist, so this this uh, scholar is saying, so Marlowe visited several yeah. museums where the Bubon pieces are on display and documented what the label said about their fine spots. Mm. In her piece, she explains some U.S. museums value the retention and growth of their collections to the near exclusion of all other concerns, equating the Met's disingenuous labeling to a laundering operation that betrays the museum's scientific and educational mission. I wanted to show this is systemic. All of these institutions have this problem. That means we all need to work on it together. Mm. I mean, I think that, so that's to me the, the reason the I wanted to bring this. Right? They do. The yeah. reason I wanted to bring this in is because, you know, I started by saying the reason that people want these things is because while fragmentary, they're pretty much whole, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the fine sites, because it was in a place that didn't have archaeological and you know, it was in places where people weren't messing with the ground. They actually pretty much stayed stable. So you have almost everything. Mm -hmm. And the desire for something that almost is whole will make people lose their minds. Mm -hmm. And so they collect it. But there was also a system in place to propagate, propagate people um, profiting off of that. Mm. Do you think we'll see a shift in this lifetime? Didn't think so. No, I don't. I think that... Um, I think that what we will see is, and I've seen, I've seen people I really like as human beings go down about this. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are, you know, who have had to find other work because they can't do this anymore because they made bad choices. Mm. And, you know, they deserve, I mean, I, th I think that's wrong what they did, but, and I like them as humans, but they did wrong things. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, um, and you've, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, I like or don't like art historians. <laughs> Of equal, you know, sometimes I like these people, sometimes I don't, but they've actually gotten law, they've gotten real, like, you know, uh, people love them because they've repatriated things, but they mm -hmm. repatriated them for their own self interest, right? So, like, I mean, that's why a lot of these 
That's the problem, right? The reason that they repatriate it, they don't repatriate it for like, it's all public image. They're not doing it because it's PR. It's all PR. They're not doing it because they can still get funding. Because they love Cambodia. They just, they don't care because it's only Cambodia. Like, you know, I mean, like that, I think that that's where you have some of these challenges that it's all humans who are doing all this. I think what actually will happen is Mm. we will find different ways to still profit off of people that we can profit off of. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that that you you would find things like we give the three D print to them, or we keep the three D print because it's better PR for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. So do you have any other? So anyway, the end of this bubon, um, this sort of topic of the bubon fragments on my side is that it's actually still an open question. There's mm. still an open lawsuit at the Cliven Museum of Art. There are still many other collections that have objects of the sort. Um, and it's really just the tip of the iceberg for art that has been stolen. Yeah. And, and the thing I think you should always remember is that none of these are actually, people are like, oh, is it precedent? They will not be precedent because each insti- each in, each group will say this is different. And I, I can't stress it enough. Like we're entering an era where revolutionary thinking and you know imagining something outside of these systems that exist is is needed. There's there has to be. I mean, yeah, I I think that that's what's so hard about museums that they're actually are we at the dawn? Are we at the like edge of museums? I don't know. You know, like is it the last judgment of museums? Not yet, because there's still a lot of money in it. But you know, it's a tough. It's a tough. Tough, but tough like world the right public, now. the public image of so many of these institutions is changing. Yeah, like absolutely. I don't, I don't see in a world where people are like quitting vaping because they're starting to get a social conscience. They're gonna continue to, and like young people who want to be creative and live in their creativity and not work nine to five shitty jobs. Like these are people who are gonna have the least amount of patience for these institutions. Um, yeah, I mean, I really do wonder. Like, I mean, I don't. Do museums have 100 years left? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but speaking about time, you yes. know, to sort of shift gears to the oh, Wait, wait, wait. I got one more oh, thing finish, I want to finish, read. Finish, finish, finish. Um, so Ariel Azalei says, to attend to seek different transformative modes of repair of which restitution and reparations are possible options. When heads of some European states speak publicly about possible restitution of looted works of art, they act as if the click of the imperial shutter is no longer audible and the destruction of entire worlds can be reduced to discrete objects. The language of restitution that focuses on discrete objects and assumes that their sameness after decades of confinement in foreign lands is oblivious to the communities that were destroyed at the moment of their extraction and oblivious to the mutilation of objects severed from their worlds. Restitution implemented Uh, unilaterally as a magic solution risks substituting a substantial accountability and closure to violence uh, with what Glenn Coulthard describes as a settler colonial form of reconciliation that allocates, quote, the abuses of settler colonialism to the dustbins of history. Mm. Hmm. It's a good place to end that. So what? How, it's, summarize that it's for a, people. It's a thinker. I think Re, it's... Re, t- discuss that with everyone. Just sort of expand. <laughs> expand. <laughs> I think for me, what I understand from that is that, and I'm going to bring it to a kind of phrase that I think maybe some of us will be familiar with, which is that the idea of dismantling the oppressor's house with like, the oppressor's tools seems like a, a, a concept that can't be mm-hmm. done. Right. But I don't think that's true. 
And I think that one of the things um, that she really kind of goes on to talk about in this book is that uh, instead of kind of seeing this kind of whole process of extraction and kind of, you know, art and museums and all the, you know, all this kind of stuff that we've been talking about as something that can kind of be put into the past and in, you know, 200 years time, there'll be like a day dedicated to Palestinians or whatever, right? And then people will be like, oh my God, we're so sorry. But I think that it's this idea that reparations and restitutions like that will will only mean so much unless we kind of go back through the past and implement older ways of being and relating Mm -hmm. to each other Mm -hmm. and bring them into the future. Mm Because one of the things that she talks about with her own family history is that, um, you know, her father essentially was like an Arab Jew, which now is Mm -hmm. a a term that carries like so much kind of weight behind Mm -hmm. it and sounds like a conflict, whereas in, you know, Mm -hmm. many years, like, you know, 50 years ago, didn't, Mm -hmm. 70 years ago, didn't carry that same kind of weight Mm -hmm. and conflict. Mm -hmm. So... I would recommend just read Ariella Azalea or like come and hang out on my TikTok page. I'm going to be making more videos and I may be reading some of this stuff on live. And also my sister bought a copy of the book and maybe we're going to do it. Oh, that'd be awesome. I think it also to go back, I think what it also talks about actually to go back to these fragments. One of the things that um, strikes me about the ancient world, and I think about this often when I think about like, you know, the Ottoman Empire, Mm. for example, or... um, the Roman Empire or whatever, that in historically in imperial places, actually before capitalism, there was a lot of allowed for diversity. Mm. So if you think about like the Ottomans, actually the Mughals, um, you know, that I think that 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 because part of the reason was just simply um, it was easier. Why, why like why change things? Right? Yeah. It's just like, it's cheaper. It's cheaper to just run it and let them run it, right? So like, but it's also this idea without mass media that we didn't have hegemony in the same way. Mm. And so I think what also is coming up is that um, there there is an older way in our world where diversity, you know, I, I know like for a lot of Republicans, the idea of diversity is really scary, but actual mm. diversity is the way the world used to be. And, and something... And a way of organizing that isn't based in limited citizenship and borders, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, is, And similarity, right? Yeah. Like, it's, I think it's to, to, to me like the idea I, I was saying that one of my teenage daughters is in a class, world religions or world history or something. And yeah, they were yeah. saying that something, and my daughter said um, something like, well, there's more Christians in India than like in Ohio, you know, like or something. I don't know. She said some mm-hmm. number. And they were like, well, there's not that many Christians in India. She's like, there's a billion people in India. It's the third most practiced religion in, in India. Mm. I and I was like, and she has that sense of scale and I don't. And and she was like, and St. Thomas went there. Like yeah. St. Like Francis was there. Like it's one of the oldest Christian sects in the world. <laughs> but the reason she has that is because we know, but it's also because of personal experience, right? She knows, yeah. she knows yep. Christian Indians. Yeah. She grew up with Christian Indians. Yep. They exist. Yep. They're like, you know, it's, it's, and it's not like, and people love to believe that the Christian Indians are there because of the British. That's not why they're there. That's, that's, that's not why they're there. Like, you know, and I think that, um, you know, I think, and to, so to go to the second part of this, the thing that the fragment does 
for I think like in art history and you know um, I think I started with that TikTok. She does a good job talking about it, and I think the Bubon fragments on some level do too. Mm. They give us a taste, really tantalizing taste of the world. Yeah, but it's also can be incredibly frustrating because if you don't have the shape of what's left. Mm. They're, they're not evocative, right? Because you don't know, if you don't have enough knowledge, you cannot put in the other parts in your brain. Totally. The opposite is also true. And like we were sharing a video um, about like the scale of population in India. Yeah. And how- I will say um, that video did kind of have like weird, like white bait kind of like imagery of India, but- I have lots to say about it. Um, yeah, I had a feeling. Um, and it talks about how there's a line in India where 50% of Indians- uh, live north of basically like north so like if the, a line that's like Delhi it's used yeah. to be called the bread the bread basket but like the north and then the south is the rest of the 50 percent yes now what it's and what I think is and interesting like the is most densely populated city in India is below that line but most of the population lives above that line yeah right and I think it's funny I I will say that um as as a kid of immigrants and having spent a lot of time in India um through my life I have never noticed, despite my family being from that mega city um, and having spent quite a lot of time there, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem crazy to me, but I'm used to it, right? Mm -hmm. like, I think it's mm -hmm. like what you're used to. But actually what is under a lot, and I think this is where big numbers, big ideas like that are so hard to make sense of because we have no scaffolding. When I yeah. looked at that video, I was like, oh, here's somebody who doesn't know Indian history. Mm -hmm. So what you're actually looking at is, or Indian geography, Yeah. what you're looking at is basically everything in the north, a lot of that is un where we had, there's, first of all, Mughal rule. Mm -hmm. The Mughals wanted it because it was very arable land. Mm -hmm. And so it was like the farming breadbasket. Yeah. Um, and then when you look south, it's different. It becomes Mughal. The Mughals take over every, almost everything mm -hmm. on the west side. But the basically what you're actually looking at is uh, the North was urbanized actually a lot like the U.S. now. Mm -hmm. um, like actually like the America now where we have exurbs and suburbs and mm -hmm. like unchecked growth, right? Mm, mm, mm. And so that's what's happening in the North, but for a millennia, like from a thousand mm, on, right? Mm. Just like unchecked growth, mm -hmm. just grow, 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 grow. Versus below the line, particularly on the Northeast where um, the Tamils were in control for like centuries and centuries they had much more like how you see actually europe growing up mm -hmm. where they have basically like a walled city and then the country yeah and so and and so what is happening is a lot of this is like historic urban like uh, historic urban planning is what yeah. you're looking at yeah 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 right like and so and so like and it and it's also because of what their money was made on. So like the Tamils were like you know big traders, for mm -hmm. example. Whereas the um, in the north they were doing things like jewels, uh, early factories like cotton. Mm -hmm. So it's like their work was different too. Mm -hmm. And I guess the the thing to me is that when you look at huge numbers like the population of India. The first thing is to go, what? And not make sense of it. And I think a lot of videos do yeah. not make sense of it. And it makes yeah. me nuts when somebody says, oh, India is just 
so pop. It's just everywhere you look, it's people. I was like, oh, so you just went to Delhi? Did you go to like the Triangle, Delhi, mm. Agra? Like, mm. where else did you go? J- you know, like mm. even um, Jaipur, which is south of that line, isn't mm-hmm. that populated. Rajasthan mm-hmm. is like, I mean, like if you go to Rajasthan, it's just like there's like, like desert. There's it's just like the like white fantasy of camels, right? It's like, like the white fantasy of yeah. these countries that, yeah. Um, and like I fucking blame like Steve McCurry for this kind of shit. Right? He's gonna is he still I alive? Because fucking hate gonna, that guy. Yeah, I'm pretty he's sure he's show like, up just to, alive just, and living he's gonna in fucking art disgrace. <laughs> he and that Midwest essential existentialism are gonna just show up to honestly that and the guy who uh, the Dan what's his face who's on TikTok who did Beavis and Butthead who like hated my video who's like I don't like your thesis. I'm like you missed the point, dumbass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> This is the this is the upset men podcast. <laughs> so, but like this is this is something that I think um I wanted to talk about because the ability to visualize scale, I think right now in terms of what we are witnessing uh, in terms of the numbers that are coming out of like Sudan and Congo and yeah. Palestine. Yeah. Like these are unfathomable numbers and are extraordinarily hard to visualize. And the only yeah. the only kind of stuff I've seen online that seems to kind of help with this yeah. is visuals of stadiums. Because that seems to be oh. in the West that kind of closest idea we can get to densely populated, small, contained kind of spaces. And I think you're bringing up, but I think underlying what you're saying is um, there is, and that's that's why I broke down that one and we can put it in the show notes about India, mm-hmm. is because what actually happens is we get, we can get bamboozled. I don't know if that's the right word, but we can get fooled. Fooled is the word I want. Mm-hmm. We can get fooled by the volume, the sheer volume, and either be mesmerized as with certain content or turn off. And I think with the humanitarian crises in um you know, Sudan and Congo and um, Gaza, or I should say the death toll, because I, I think humanitarian crisis cleans it up too much. I and, agree. I was thinking like about the our, death. our like previous episode now that we've yeah. seen like more progression as well no, since what's happened. It's like just kind of like just the death toll of it. Um, I think the that extreme, extreme dehumanizing violence. It's violence and yeah. the scale of the violence. Colonial and white I think settler th- violence. And I think, you know, for many people who are not from a place where there is that kind of violence. And I did a video recently where they said, remember, there's a lot of violence in American cities. And I think that the difference is, yeah. sure there is. Sure there is. I don't mean that there isn't. It's that the violence we're talking about is um, on a, I think it's um, on a different scale. And it's on a different, um, it's like all of the violence in an American city condensed into one place it's also like all of the violence that the u.s carries out behind the scenes in like yeah these like yeah tightly concentrated areas right yeah um and like it is also kind of incredibly difficult to comprehend that the u.s has what like 800 military bases or something absurd like across the planet 
And there are how many countries in the world? I don't know the numbers, but but I do think like that's a lot of bases. You'll have to you'll have to fact check though, because we're not we're now not looking at our phones while we're talking. But um, hang on, hang on, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. Okay. So fact check that puppy. But I think that <laughs> what you're talking about is, and what I think that what you know I want to say is, just as for f- understanding fragments, you need to look at the whole context. For understanding large holes, these numbers, you need to see the opposite. Uh, you need to see, so like for the big picture, you actually need to go to the fragments. You need to go yes. to the parts within it. Yes. And I think that's what we're talking about. Like the sum and the whole, this whole episode has been about Sum and whole. Can right? I bring like, this back to photography that, as well? You can in a second. But, <laughs> but I think like just as you you cannot understand an ancient fragment mm. uh, if you don't understand the whole thing, you cannot understand a present whole with under, understanding the pieces, parts that got us to there. Yeah. And like you can't understand how to read a photograph or what a photograph is showing you without understanding like who the photographer is, who the subject is, the context and that's what she in was which you're about, reading right? it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Um, And I just Googled this, the total number of foreign sites with installations and facilities that are either in active use and service or that may be activated and operated by American military personnel and allies is just over a thousand. And how many countries are there? 195. I knew there was a 90 something in there somewhere. (laughs) So that's a lot. That's That's like like a hundred per. Yeah. 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 So I think a lot. That's a lot of presence across the planet that is also hard to comprehend. It is impossible. And I think this is where we're talking about. This whole episode has been about comprehension. And Mm. I think that that really like comprehending the scales of things, either from if it's just a tiny thing that's left or this giant thing that you can't understand, requires sort of being very vigilant about Mm. understanding what's missing. So what's missing in the fragment is all the other stuff. What's missing in your understanding of a huge thing is the little parts of it. And I would say for like... Um, um, that's going to be the video (laughs) (laughs) for the Sudan like I think like for the Sudan for the Congo for the um, for Gaza you could say that it's just American imperialism but it or you could say it's colonialism you could say it's capitalism but actually I would encourage everyone to look closer to the, the specific drivers there and like you know the Sudan I did a video recently about Haile Selassie for example or like um she might finally made it mm. and um uh, but like Haile Selassie or there, there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to each conflict that are very specific to their location to go back to that thought about diversity based on their resources and stuff right? yeah. yeah and I think that you that the, the thing I would invite everyone to do is to find out what makes this conflict this conflict. Mm. What drives US imperialism? <laughs> well, and it's but it's not just like, you know, Sudan's a great yeah. example. Like yeah. highly Celeste and I I mean I think that, you know, we often as Americans I mean like, you know, I think that we I mean, yes, we we um, you, you we we've done a lot of bad things. US imperialism. <laughs> but we often don't notice the other things. Like Gaza, mm. the other problem are things like Iran and Iraq and and I mean Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like there, there is not these are not simple things. And no. shout out when to our we Saudi listeners, this, by the way, they're still gone strong. Oh, good. Yeah. Um. Uh. But like these are there's not a single driver. A lot of this is 
global politics and mm. these pieces, parts that are fighting each other. And like, I think about the Palestinians, how much they're, sa they're sadly pawns amongst like Russia, America, Iran, Iraq, and Saudi I Arabia. I, that's one of the things I find really, really difficult to, uh, I guess, emotionally get myself around is the idea that in this kind of like, you know, grander scale of like world politics and fucking chess or whatever that these men seemingly feel is their god-given right to play like it i can't imagine an entire like an entire fucking people like an entire culture just being a pawn for you to what, be able to make a new trade route so you don't have to go around all of africa like what's going like, come on <laughs> So you can make more money. I mean, I think it is like it's. I mean, greed. Yeah, and like, like the, you know, the truth is like deal resources. The truth is, human greed actually knows no racial boundary. No, you know, and I think that that or like, like when time. I, well, that's right. Like Sudan, that is human greed. Yeah, yeah. Su Sudan is driven by so many different levels of human greed. It's 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 astonishing and it and it and it's it's heartbreaking. I think uh, Crutches and Spice, I think was did a great job. I think it's Crutches and Spice's I video about how. Oh, I do too. Um, about how like when you say just women and children, you're really dehumanizing. Like you're trying to you're trying to you know like and I think that's very true. But at the same time, as a woman who was once a child, <laughs> I look at those women in the Sudan and know that so much of what's happened to them is because men are making decisions. That yep. they don't care about the women and children. Yeah. Well, so um, going back to Ariel Isley, one of the things that she – she's my theory bay right now. I can't help it. Uh, one of the things that she writes about in the civil contract of photography uh, is that um, in terms of how we define citizenship and what it means to kind of have, you know, equitable access to human rights – she writes about how essentially, especially in the West, there's a, an ingrained kind of violence that women have to live with as a part of our existence and kind of accept as a part of, you know, navigating and, you know, living in the world that she defines as a kind of part of our existence that stops us from having equal citizenship essentially and makes us sub-citizens i mean it is there like, are certain like expectations of violence that yeah, we have to live with that's right and i think like that's a great example of why so if in the if like you know to sort of summarize this episode as we close up <laughs> again <if> in a <laughs> fragment in yeah <laughs> in a if in a fragment you under, need to understand the whole and if in the whole you need to understand the fragment in society the idea of the way you function within it mm. is based on your identity. I think that one of the biggest chunks of that is your privilege. Yeah. And, you know, being being in any way marginalized decreases your privilege. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's where like I often like I, I totally do see what Imani's saying Like you can't just say women and children because that's really like saying that you don't actually care about them at all. Mm. But at the same time, I think that for me in all of these conflicts, I can't help but center on the women and children because they didn't they didn't get themselves into this. No. And also because it's you know, that's how empathy works. You empathize that's with right. the closest thing to your own experience. And I that's right. Think that's well, that's true. too. And thing. I think actually, 
No, it's not a bad thing. Though I, I think many people could gain empathy about all three of these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So and could stand uh, to for sure. Could stand to. So that that's where I think we'll end this episode. I am Seema at yeah. Artlust A R T L U S T. I'm Sophie. You can find me Darkroom Farmant V A R M I N T. Um, we are very excited to be here with you all and to be releasing this content and kind of. On the mend, both of us. Yeah, and and also just kind of like navigating all of this extraordinarily dense uh, stuff that is happening across the planet and be able to kind of work through it. I feel very privileged. I was actually, I I was thinking of making a a video and putting it on the Artless page where it's like, uh, like this app's like best art history educator chose me to make a podcast with. Oh, Am I a better than everyone? <laughs> you know that sound. <laughs> I do think that there's that one that I wish that we had. Do- I wish to- I I wish we lived closer together. That one where mm. everyone's walking and we are. You know that we're men, so we don't blah 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 blah. Oh my god! I, I would have that loved to do that funny. one. That's the I know. I would have loved to do that one. Like we're gardeners. In the city. So we're yes. this. Blah blah That's blah. Right. blah. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> We're academics. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, friends.